Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, I pray that today would be a day of celebration in the hearts of those that have been a part of Spring of Life, those who have recently arrived to this church, those that are new, it might be their first day today. It's a special day of our celebration. And you have called men, women, and children, these families together so that we can stand before you and receive what you have for those who come to you with humility. We ask you to bless your word this morning that we have greater understanding. Lord, more than physical vision that we see things upon the earth, give us spiritual sight to pursue those things that are true treasure that will never end. For heaven and earth will pass away and everything in it. But he who does the will of God will shine like the firmament, like the stars in the firmament. They will be the real celebrities and stars throughout eternity who laid down their life for the cause of the kingdom. We give you thanks for Jesus Christ who is our example, our Lord and our Savior. He is at the center of it all. He explains it all, and he is the reason for everything that is going on today, Lord. Thank you for our Lord, our Savior, our King, our glorious Messiah, the King of glory. We pray, Father God, that his word today might resound in this temple and be welcomed in the hearts of all that are present, that our worship might be pure in heart in thoughts and in our hands, Lord, that what we think, we speak, and we do would all be the same thing, Lord. Take away divided hearts. Take away double-mindedness. Take away a, a, a life of hypocrisy. We pray that we would be authentic and genuine in our faith, Lord. And this could only be possible if you do it in us, O oh God. For Christ in us is the hope of glory that he might grow and mature. Bless your word and prosper it in the hearts of your people. We thank you and cannot even count your faithfulness to have brought us to this day 18 years later, Lord. We now see with greater precision and we can see the extent of the vision you gave us 18 years ago that is truly changing nations, changing the world. And that our sons are princes. They abide by your principles. Our daughters are princesses. They walk in the fear of God. Father, we pray that our lives would be attractive to lost men, to men who have no vision and have no hope in this world. Prosper your word in our hearts this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. The fact that the Lord has given us a world-changing vision 18 years ago on April 6, 1998, I was held super surprised. I turned to my wife and I told her, God is calling us out to start a work, and she says, how... I'm kind of nervous. She began to weep, and she says, what if we mess up? I said, we can't mess up because we're not going to do anything. This is going to be God. We're just going to sit and watch. And that's what it's been like for 18 years. We haven't done anything. The Lord has done it all. Four days later, we would go to my father's house, and we would tell my mom and my dad that God was calling us to start a work. The whole family was mesmerized. I was practicing law at the time. I was married. I had three children. And it wasn't a time to start a church for a young family. Um, but we were desirous of doing the will of God before we pass from this world to the next. And so when God calls a man, he gives him a vision. And the Bible says in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, 
that in the last days he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. You could turn to your neighbor and say that includes you. He wants his spirit to be upon you. And that is the beginning of a vision. When the spirit of God is upon you, the Bible says in Revelations on the day of the Lord, I was in the spirit and I saw, and he begins to write the whole books of the last book of the Bible, Revelations. So in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, he says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. I will pour out my spirit. There's a lot of spirits being poured out. As we went to Cuba this week, we saw the spirit of sensuality, lewdness that causes men to sell their bodies and be engaged in sexual immorality. That's not the spirit of the Lord. But when the spirit of the Lord is upon you, it says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall speak of the things of the Lord. That's called prophecy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And so it was on April 6th that the Lord began to speak to us about this vision that we're walking in. I pray that in these last days you be walking in the spirit of the Lord. Because just like God has visions for the last day, the Bible says that the devil will also take you to high places. We see him there in Matthew chapter 4 verse 8. This account in the Bible of the devil taking Jesus to a high place... The devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him a vision of all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Be careful that you do not let Satan be your tour guide. He will take you to places to have visions that are not from the Lord. Visions of grandeur, visions of prosperity, visions of, of your potential upon the earth. And we thank God that when the devil took Jesus to a high place and showed him visions, that he says, no, I'd rather the vision of my Father in heaven. I'd rather see what God's plans are for my life. Because in the last days, the vision of the devil will be dark, will be confusion, and will be full of deception. Darkness, confusion, and deception. If you follow the devil in a vision he gives you to great heights grandeur and potential and it's not a vision from the Lord you will end up totally in darkness and confusion and in deception you don't want the devil to be your tour guide Jesus answered in verse 9 and he said all these things this is the devil still speaking all these things I will give you if you will bow down and make me the centrality of your life the vision would lead Jesus away from the Father's will. It would lead him away from the bullseye. It would have been a deception of darkness and confusion. Verse 10, Jesus responds and says, Jesus told them, get thee behind me, away, get out of my way, Satan, for it is written, the centrality of my life will be the Lord, and him alone shall I serve. That's powerful. Maybe you could write it down and use it sometime when you're invited away from God's vision for your life. It is there in John 10.10 10 that says if you would follow Satan in his vision for your life, he says the thief that wants to steal your purpose and your significance in God's vision cometh but to steal, to kill, and to destroy but the vision God gives you will give you life that's large and life that is abundant. We can't miss that. Many men are following many visions, but none of them from the Lord. 
The Bible says that first, you should follow the vision of another man. In Luke 16, 12, you're not ready to receive the purpose and the vision for your life until you've been faithful with that which belongs to another. If you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? If you're not faithful to serve in the vision of another man, I asked the Lord, Lord, why did you give Spring of Life such a powerful vision? Together with the vision, the, the possession of what we see, because God's not going to show you something to not give it to you. If he shows you something, it's to give it to you. He'll lead you with your eyes so that you can embody it in your reality. He says, Abraham, lift up your eyes and look around, for everything you see is yours. He'll give you a vision before he gives you the inheritance and possession. And so here it is. If you're not faithful with what belongs to another, God will not give you your own. And so I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, why did you give us such a powerful vision? It could have been change the city. It could have been change your family. But change the world? That is huge. That is incredible. So I asked the Lord, why did you give us this vision? The Lord says, look, if you're faithful in the small, I'll give you the plenty. You were faithful to add and subtract, so you multiplied and divide, so you do calculus, you do quantum physics, and then you're off the charts into another level. But if you're not faithful to add and subtract, you'll never learn to multiply and divide. You can't do algebra. You'll never do geometry and calculus and quantum physics. And he says, because, Joaquin, you've been faithful in the small things. And in fact, he told me, because you cried tears for the vision of another man, you were qualified for a greater vision. Because you were faithful to carry the charge of what was entrusted to pastors before you is I've given you a greater vision. Couldn't believe my eyes, but I believe God. And we've been seeing this for the past 18 years as God has taken us from glory to glory. The Bible says in Luke 19.3 that Zacchaeus could not see Jesus. He could not see him because he was a man. And there are many men here today that think that this is crazy. They started 18 years ago saying we were insane. A lot of them left because they couldn't see the reality of our vision. But as year after year have passed, we've been able to say, Lord, he says he could not, he sought to see Jesus, but he could not see him for he was of short stature. There's so many men in this place that are holding on to their money so tight. They've become so diminished in their ability to think about someone else that they've never been able to embrace the vision of changing the world. They're short in their sight. They're short in their stature. They're short in their spirituality. They don't seek the Lord. They are spiritual midgets. They belong in a circus. But God wants us to be of great sight, great vision, great stature. In order to get to a nation and to address, he says, uh, kings and prime ministers and dignitaries and economists, the financial center of the world, well, the fifth financial center of the world is Grand Cayman. And we were able to go in there and says, your money, your gold and your silver is trash because Satan has stolen your manhood. You guys are, you can't hold the family together. You can't hold the marriage together. Your sons hate your guts. You have a lot of money, but you've become men of small stature. They must climb a tree. In verse 4, he says, he was of short stature. He wanted to see Jesus, so he ran ahead and climbed up a tree to be able to vision the Lord. 
for he was going to pass that way. I pray that men, as you, as you come and become part of the vision to change the world, it will be the beginning of the purpose that God has for your life, the significance he has for your family, the inheritance and the treasure that he has for those of you that are faithful to God. We are blown away, the Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, that when a man does not have a vision, all he can do is perish. Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. That means that they don't wait for anything. They don't keep back from the timings of the Lord. We've been asking God to go into Cuba for the last 18 years, and the Lord says, wait, 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 wait. And now our 18th anniversary, the gift of God to spring of life, is Cuba is wide open to receive our example, our vision, to be husbands and fathers and men and sons that will change the world. They have open hearts in Cuba across the denominational lines. And we said this, and one day is like a thousand years. God did not let us go in 10 years ago. It might have taken 10 years of work to reach the whole island. But we went one week, three days, and the hearts of men began to open up. And on the last day, the whole island opened up to receive the vision to change the world. We will lead that cause in Cuba. We will lead that cause in every province, in every city, every man that comes across us. I'll tell you one story. We call it the pimp to pastor. We drove up to a restaurant, and a man stuck his head in our window in our cab, our taxi cab. And he says, hey, gentlemen, what country are you from? We were four of us, myself, Caracol, Phil, and Pastor Mike. And we said we're from many nations, America, Grand Cayman, Puerto Rico, Cuba. And he says, listen, this is a great restaurant. Take your time. Eat well. And after you eat, we have four beautiful women for you in that car over there. And I said, I can't believe it. What a bargain. What a deal. I was waiting for you. This is a book, my friend, I have for you. <laughs> and he goes, ¿Qué es un hombre? I go, exactly. Un hombre no vende mujeres. A man doesn't sell women. He was taken back. We four are married, and a man doesn't cheat on his wife. He was taken back some more. You, my friend, need the book and become a man. I was so filled with the seal of God, with, with the opportunity. I was dying for that opportunity. Because at 15, when I didn't know what a man was, I was offered to go to a prostitute's home to become a man. So now... 32 years later, I have an opportunity to tell those men that pushed those women that he's not a man. He freaked out. We thought there was going to be a fist fight. He ran away with the book. He comes 15 minutes back. He's coming through the parking lot. Me and Carago says, okay, brother, here he comes. Let's brawl. He's going to make me stick that book up my ear. And I thought there was going to be a fight. And he goes, sir... We're still talking about what you did 15 minutes ago. And I'm not letting go of this book. But I want another copy for my son. I said, here you go. Gave him another book. The waiter says, could I have a copy? We gave a copy to the waiter. The, capsi, the taxi cab driver says, yes, 
that was great. And he went and talked about wanting a book as he took us home. He waited outside for us. And the man who his, his uncle at that restaurant and has worked there for 32 years, he says, I want a copy of the book too. That was a glorious night. That was just a couple of minutes. A man without a vision will cast off restraint. He doesn't restrict himself. He has nothing to look forward to. The Bible says in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2, that those men who cry for vengeance, they want to be vindicated. They're crying out because of violence. Violence is people living outside of order. He says, look at all the disaster upon the earth, and no one is here to save. Habakkuk, a prophet, says to God, aren't you going to save? Verse 3, why do you show me trouble? Why do you show me hardship? Why do you show me men that lie, steal, and cheat? And strife and contentious is all around me. If you were to define reality by your circumstance and situation, it would be a sad reality. And Habakkuk is seeing the mess that surrounds him on every side. And many people were asking the question in Cuba, can something make a difference in Cuba? Can something make a difference in the world? Listen, when you're speaking like that, it's because you don't have a vision from God. For God gives Habakkuk a vision. And he says, Habakkuk, look what he says in verse 4. He says, therefore the law teaching has no power and justice never comes. The wicked surround the righteous and are more in number. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Everything turns out wrong. And the Lord answers him and says in Habakkuk Chapter uh, 1, verse 5, let's read what the Lord says. He says, look among the nations and be utterly astounded, for I'm about to do something which you would not believe even if it were told to you. Even if you, God began to explain to you what his game plan is about darkness, deception, and confusion, you wouldn't even believe it. So since it's a reality, chapter 2, verse 2, the Lord said, write this vision down. Write the vision down. Make it simple so that he who reads the vision can pursue it, can run after it. Like my father says, imitate us as we're changing the world. Start thinking like us. Start speaking like us. Start moving in the direction we've been moving for a long time. Write this vision down. Verse 3, for the vision is, won't come to pass real quickly, but it's for an appointed time. At the end, it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come to pass and not tarry. It's not going to be too late. A vision will take you to the heights so that you could understand the fulfillment of God's purpose. In chapter 3, verse 17, Habakkuk finishes after he receives the reality of the vision from God. Would he be able to see what God has spoken? He says, though the fig tree does not blossom, Though there's no fruit on the vine, though our hard uh, labor of the olive may fail, it says the fields yield no fruit. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. There's no evidence and proof of God moving strong upon the land. Verse 18, though all these things are happening, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will have joy in the God of my salvation because God does not lie. And that which he shows you a vision for shall come to pass. The realities of God's promise will become fruitful upon the earth. 
Verse 19, the Lord then will be my strength. His vision will make my feet like hinds feet. He will make me to walk upon high places. He will allow me to walk the excellence of wisdom and virtue upon the earth to fulfill his call upon my life. A vision of God will bring you light in the middle of darkness, clarity in the middle of confusion, and truth in the middle of deception. That's why we know that the spring of life vision is from God. It has brought a lot of light to our lives where there was darkness. It has brought clarity where there was confusion and truth that sets the captive free that are held by deception. A vision promotes unity because the Bible says that a house divided will not prosper. The word division comes from two visions. A lot of people have tried to come to this church and say, well, I see something else. I invite you to go do what you see. But in this house, we're going to do what the Lord has shown us. We have one vision in this house, and it promotes the unity of being able to change the world. Those who have come in here with another vision, it's called division. It splits the vision of God. It's not from the Lord. God is not going to put confusion, darkness, and deception. The vision God has given this house is that our body, souls, and spirit will work through thoughts, words, and actions. Your physical body, your feelings, and your spiritual devotion will work through your thoughts, your words, and your actions. Imagine us all going to a same party and we're all speaking differently. My friend, that's what happened at the Tower of Babel and it destroyed the construction because every man was speaking something different. The Bible says in Philippians, let this be proof of your reality in Christ that you think the same thing, that you pursue the same goals, that you declare the same excellence of virtue in the calling of God. And so our time, our talents, and treasure are not in every direction but lose, but pursuing God's vision to promote manhood, marriage, family, church, and community. Look at these things. Our vision makes a man whole, makes a woman virtuous, children that seek to honor their parents, families that are a blessing to all the families on the earth, a church that is perfect in the character of Christ, that impacts a community that will be the celebration of a city that will be the transformation of a nation. God has given us a vision to change the world. A lot of people didn't understand that. In the last days, men will have ungodly visions. 2 Timothy 3.1, it says the last days will be filled of much peril and danger. Know this, that the last days will be dangerous times. And the reason why they're dangerous times, because instead of following a vision from God, man has decided in verse 2 to be selfish. They will be lovers of themselves, their priority at the forefront. At this church, since we've been doing this for a while, we tell people that come for the first time to the house of God to zip it until five years go by. And you show that you have honored this vision. Amen. You've given your life for this vision. You're serious about this vision. Then you're qualified to speak. We're not going to allow people to run us astray to foolishness. It sounds hard, but it's God's call. It's God's call to be able to follow one thought, one word, 
one action. Matthew 12, 25, the devil's design to destroy man is to bring division in a house. He says like this, Jesus knew their thoughts. Every kingdom that is divided against himself is brought to a desert. And every city or house that is divided will not stand. It cannot prosper. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone has a thought. Any, everyone has a priority. And we've put all these thoughts and these opinions and these words and these priorities aside that we might see the vision of God come to pass. And we're pursuing it. We're on hot pursuit. And God gives this promise to Abraham in Genesis 18, 18. He tells him, I will make of Abraham a great nation. How do you go from one man to a great nation? Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, a strong and great nation. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed in one man with a vision. In one man that sees God, in one man that follows God, in one man that serves God. And I said, man, God, you're making exceptions of people. Why Abraham and not us? In verse 19, he gives the answer. Because he will teach his children to follow my ways. For I have known Abraham in order that he might command his children and his family after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, and they follow after righteousness and justice, that I may bring to Abraham what he has, spoke, what he has spoken to him. That the Lord might bring to Abraham what the Lord has spoken to him. I have no doubt, listen to me, I have no doubt that God has given us a glorious vision, that we've paid some insignificant price to pursue and defend that vision. There have been people that have come in here, multimillionaires, and says, man, we'll give you money. We don't want money. We don't want prosperity like man defines prosperity. We want to do the will of God. We want to see the glory of God upon the earth. We will fight tooth and nail. One man said it like this. If I'm fighting and they cut off my arms, I'll start kicking. And if they cut off my feet, I'll start biting. And if they take my teeth out, I'll gum them to death. That's what it takes to be a warrior, to defend the vision of God with all clarity and truth. We've been concerned with that issue in the past, that people have snuck in in our midst and have tried to water down what our vision is. They've said we're too intense, that we're too radical, we're too crazy. It's like the story of what happened with Walt Disney as he designed the entire Magic Kingdom. He designed the theme park. He put it all down on paper. And on the first day of his coming into Walt Disney World in Orlando, he had already passed away. He died. His family came to open up the park. And they were all sad. And they told his brother, um, we're super sad that Walt wasn't here to see it. And they told his brother, says, listen, he saw it way before all you guys. He saw it way before anybody saw it. And I believe the truth be said that God has shown us that what God has for our church is a reality. We've already seen it in the spiritual realm. It's just coming to pass in the physical. We're seeing the great celebrations of walking into nation after nation to family after family, seeing marriage after marriage, son after son being restored in Jesus Christ. Let's stand this morning, and I pray that you would be join our vision. I pray that you would join our passion. That not with religious craziness and blindness, but that God might show you the visions of those that will serve the Lord in the last days. Instead of being selfish and disobedient, instead of walking in confusion, in discussions of theological rhetoric, of um, ecclesiastical divinity, doctor's degree, 
I write down in one of my books that there was a woman sitting at the graduation of a religious seminary. She was sitting there watching her husband receive a doctor's degree in divinity that took him about 10 years with a lot of struggle to be able to graduate. She was in the back row. She had come to the graduation service, to the commencement ceremonies, and she was crying. And the headmaster comes over to her and says, you should be very proud. And you should be moved in emotion because of the great efforts and sacrifice your husband has made to become a pastor, to become a leader, a spiritual leader. She turns to the man who led the seminary and she said, sir, if you knew who my husband was, you would never give him a diploma. You would never congratulate him. This is not a day of celebration for me. It's a day of mourning because that guy's a hypocrite and he's a liar. And that's what we're telling people, that you can be a true Christian, that the grace of God is sufficient and that your testimony without words is more powerful than any religious theology and biblical understanding you have. Father, thank you for this day that you have made. Truly, we rejoice and are glad in it. Truly, we celebrate the vision you've given this house. Thank you for not only opening up the heavens and showing us your glory, Thank you that we're being transformed from glory to glory, even unto the likeness of your son. Thank you for the spirit of God, Holy Spirit, your Lord in this place. Convict us and bring us to the place of excellence to offer our lives for the most significant purpose upon the earth, which is the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ laid down his life and purchased us with his blood, so now we don't belong to ourselves, we belong to him. And the life we now live, we live for the glory of God. We pray, Father God, that at each passing moment, spring of life, our family, our friends might join us in changing the world. We give you thanks and we honor you this day and we bless you in Jesus' name we pray. And the house of God says amen, amen, and amen.